I want to be upfront with you and let you know that today we are going to talk about some of the problems associated with riches or wealth. Now that already creates an issue because many of you hear that and you're like, oh, okay, this has to do with somebody else. And that's just something that we typically do. Unless your name is Bill Gates, when I talk about riches, you're like, oh, this, this is a conversation for somebody else. And, and that's a problem. There's a problem in that we are not convinced that we are rich. Now, I could spend some time here trying to show you statistics and saying, okay, well, if you earn this amount of money or if you live in this type of house, you live in this top percentile of the world's population. Or I could show you some pictures of places that I've been humbled to work that were very poor areas. In particular, I think of one of the slums in Mexico where I spent some time doing some mission work. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to ask us to own the fact that whether we feel rich or not, that most of us watching this would be considered by somebody in the world to be wealthy. Now, with that groundwork laid, let's read together some of what God has to say about riches and about wealth. And so we're going to turn together to James chapter 5 in a Bible. And so I'm going to invite you to find a Bible and to read along with me. James chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And we're going to be starting in verse 1. We're finally at the last chapter of the book of James. And it's talking, you'll see a, a heading there. In, in my translation, it says, warning to the rich. And so it's talking about riches, but this is not the first time the book of James has talked about riches. In James 1 and in James 2, there is some talk about riches. But here we have some further dialogue. And so let's read it together. It says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened the hearts, your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. These words don't leave us with some sort of warm and encouraged feeling. Now, there certainly are parts of the Bible that do that, but this isn't one of them. I, I read them actually and I feel very strongly warned, if not reprimanded. Why are the words so strong here? Well, they're strong because they're a warning that the desire for wealth is an enticing snare that will ultimately not satisfy us. It's a warning, and some of you will get this. If you're a parent, you know that if your, your child is running out towards a busy street, you're not going to come to them gently in an encouraging tone. Hey, little Johnny, don't do that. No, you're going to yell at them. You're going to warn them of the danger. And I think much in the same way, what God is doing here is he's pressing on us the incredible danger. The danger is that the desire and pursuit of wealth and money and the accumulation of things can plunge us into ruin. There's a singer named John Foreman who sings a song where he says, you possess your possessions or they possess you. I think that very succinctly kind of articulates some of the danger here. Wealth and possessions and the desire for these things can be dangerous because it can own us. Now, I just want to take a minute to pause here before we talk any further. And I want to clarify something. And that is that it may be easy for you to hear or think that I'm saying today that being rich is bad or having wealth is sinful. 
And that is not what I'm saying. That's not actually even something that the Bible says. In fact, some of the people in the Bible who were great and incredible people of faith, people who tried to live righteous lives, not perfect people, but people who tried to live perfect, not perfect, righteous lives, were people who were actually wealthy. The two that immediately spring to my mind are Abraham and Job. So being rich is not sinful. However, being attached to riches or being distracted by riches is sinful. The desire to be wealthy is a snare. It's like the light that draws a bug into a zapper and then kills it. It's just a soft light at first and then ultimately ends up killing it. It can draw us in. This desire can draw us in and ultimately destroy us. If I flip across to 1 Timothy chapter 6, what I find in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a parallel passage to James chapter 5. It has a lot to say about riches and about wealth. And I want to read for you just a couple of verses from here to start with. It says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich, 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The desire for wealth is a destructive thing. And and that thought is pretty clearly articulated in 1 Timothy 6, but it's also, I think, expanded on in chapter 5 of James, which we just read earlier. You see, James 5 isn't just a warning to say, hey, be careful with riches. It actually is a description of some of the byproducts of that pursuit. A byproduct is something that comes as a result of something else. You know, like, uh, for example, when I try and cook, which I do enjoy doing sometimes, one of the byproducts of my cooking is a very messy kitchen. You can ask my wife Liz about that. Or if I go running to get some exercise, one of the byproducts of that is that I sweat a lot. And if we pursue riches, there are certain byproducts that we should expect. And that really is what James 5 is listing out. There's several things it's talking about here. In verse 1, it's talking about the misery. It says, hey, come weep and howl for the miseries coming upon you, rich person, in the pursuit of those things. Wow. And then it goes on in verse 2 and 3 to say, uh, those riches that you're looking to are actually going to just crumble and fade away. It talks about the loss that comes with the pursuit of riches. If you go on in verse 4, it talks about the oppression that is a part of the pursuit of riches, how it will lead us to oppress people, to, to, to commit fraud. If you go on to verse 5, it talks about the self-centeredness that is a part of that. And then ultimately in verse 6, it talks about the injustice that it will lead us to, to condemn and even murder people who are righteous, that don't deserve that treatment. So if pursuing riches is this dangerous, why are we so drawn to this pursuit? Why do we want riches? What are we looking for when we go after wealth? I spent some time just thinking about that question. I came up with a few thoughts, and and I'm sure this isn't an exhaustive list, but I want to talk through a few of them. Firstly, I think some of us are looking for happiness. We think, well, if I had this amount of money, I'd be happy. Others of us, it's a security thing. We're like, well, I need this to make sure that I'm okay you know, that I can provide for myself, or even sometimes we say, this is for my family, I want to provide for my family. For others of us, it's, a, it's an idea of ease. We think, well, okay, if, if I had this, life would be easier. 
Or others, it's a, it's a sense of pleasure. I would like to enjoy life. And if I had these things, I, could, I would enjoy the pleasure and the comfort of life more. In another sense, for, for some of us, it's about affirmation, saying, okay, well, if, if I could stack up these things, people would look at me and say, well, he's obviously very successful. That, that, that person has value. It's not wrong for us to desire happiness or security or, or really any of these things. In fact, I would argue that God has placed these desires in us, the root desires. The key issue here is in the danger of looking to these things, looking for these things in the wrong place. I don't know if you've ever looked for something in the wrong place. Recently, I lost a key that was very important that I shouldn't have lost. And I went looking everywhere for it. I was looking all through our house. I was looking out in the garage, everywhere that I could think of. And for quite some time, I, I looked for this thing urgently. And finally, I just resigned to the fact that I'd lost it somehow. Well, just recently, a friend who will remain nameless came up to me dangling a key, the key I'd been looking for all along. And it had been in the pocket of his trousers that he'd put up. I'd been looking in the wrong place. And that's something that we do. We do the same thing. We go looking for these things that we talked about, happiness, ease, security, all of these things. We look for them in the wrong place. If I go back through that list kind of quickly, I'll talk through what is the right place where we should be looking for these things. Happiness is ultimately found in God and God alone. It says in Psalm 16, verse 11, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. If you really want fullness of joy, that's found in God. Security, too, is found in God. There's many verses that talk about that. Psalm 32, 7 says, You, God, are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Ease is something that some of us are looking for. And Jesus himself said, Come to me, all you, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is found in God. Others of us are looking for pleasure. And if you go back to Psalm 16, 11, it says, At your right hand, God, are pleasures forevermore. Pleasure and ultimate comfort is found in God. Affirmation, too, is found in God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. If we want to know our value, we're loved by God. We're called His children if we're Christians. So all that we're looking for in the pursuit of riches is actually found in God. And as simple as that may sound, what is needed for us is this different pursuit, a pursuit of God instead of a pursuit of riches, knowing that true wealth is found in Him. Interestingly, Sin, by definition, or by its older definition, meant to miss the mark, to aim at something and to miss the mark. When we pursue riches for fulfillment in life, we miss the mark. We sin. And that's why we need to pursue God instead. Because when we desire Him, when we seek to know Him, that is when our deepest desires are fulfilled. That is why the Bible often talks about riches, the riches that come from knowing God and, and being in right standing with Him. It talks about the Christian life as walking with God and being uh, full of, of gain and fulfilling and of richness. And there's many examples of verses that talk about that in the Bible, but there's one in particular I want to draw your attention to, and that is in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. You don't have to turn there right now. 
But 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this, For you know, and it's speaking to Christians here, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That verse beautifully and simply summates the Christian message. This message we sometimes call the gospel. And that is that Christ came and died so that we could become rich. And rich in the fullest sense of the word. That means that we are restored, fulfilled in right standing with God. Now, so what I've just said is that Christ died so that we could come and be in right standing with God. And as I think about that for a moment, I'm like, okay, to you listening, that may just sound like a whole bunch of Christian words stacked on top of each other. What do I exactly mean by that? The Christian message hinges around the belief that Jesus was God's son. And he came and lived a perfect life. Or you could say a righteous life. The life that we couldn't live. He never sinned in anything he thought, said, or did. All of us sin in, in, in we do things that are offensive to God in, in the things we think, we say, and we do. And yet he was condemned to die a death that he didn't deserve. But God had that as part of his plan. In fact, he, he had planned that from all time past that Jesus would go and die this death that he didn't deserve because by that act, God was able to pour his just anger for all the sins of the world onto his son. There's a word that captures that. It's a beautiful and scary word called wrath. And so God placed his wrath for sin onto Jesus instead of placing it onto us. But because of Jesus' perfection, he, he didn't just die but by his, this power of his perfection, he, he came back to life. He defeated sin and he defeated sin's ultimate consequence, which is death. And so what that means is that we too have hope of life and eternal life in Jesus. Because he took our sins and our punishment that we deserved and offered us life instead. That's the faith. That's what any true Christian believes. And so if we go back to James 5 now, I want to show you something that's kind of interesting. Because in James 5, 6, it says this, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. What's, it, what's that about? Well, certainly it's a warning that when we pursue riches, we will commit injustices. But more importantly, it's a reminder that, to all of us that we have played our part in condemning and murdering the only truly righteous person. That was Jesus. I believe verse 6 is this arrow pointing to Jesus, pointing to the cross, reminding us that we played our part in condemning Jesus, that he took on our sins, and that even when we pursue fulfillment in life in places other than in God, when we look to things like riches and affluence, that that is sinful, but it also reminds us of the amazing grace that we have through God, the grace which made heaven poor so that we could be rich. Through this grace, God has made us his children. And that means that he has lavished the wealth of his love on us. One of my favorite authors defines grace as this. Grace is God's riches 
at Christ's expense. That is the gospel. At great personal expense, we have been made, personal expense to God, we have been made heirs. And that means that we are incredibly wealthy now in Christ. Not in a material worldly sense, but in a heavenly sense. And so if you don't know the riches of God's grace, if you don't know these things that I've been talking about these last few minutes, what's stopping you in this moment from reaching out to God and saying, God, what we've just talked about, I believe that to be true. I want you to take my sins. Now is a moment. Now is an opportunity for you to do that. We would love to hear from you if that's something that you're ready to do. If you have experienced the riches of His grace, if you are a Christian, hopefully it's not just been a one-time experience, but every day you're enjoying the riches of His grace. We need to ask the question of, if we have experienced the riches of His grace, how should we now live? And to answer that, I want to unapologetically take you to another scripture. The Bible has a lot to say about wealth and the riches that we find in Christ. And so I'm going to head back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this time I'm going to read from verse 17. It says this, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty. Now by that haughty, that means to really puff them up, themselves up. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is a really rich passage, but if I could try and sum up what it's saying, I would say that it's reminding us to be content and to be generous. Recently, Liz and I learned that some of our friends were moving back here from Scotland to the USA. And they were already in the USA and they needed our help getting some stuff in their house here organized to move back. And in that process, they wanted to get rid of some of the stuff that they had here in Scotland. And so they entrusted us with their stuff. And they said, "Okay, you can use some of this stuff and we'd love you to give away and bless some people with this stuff. And it was this really interesting experience because Liz and I really enjoyed getting to give away other people's stuff. It was was such a freeing experience because I didn't feel too attached or tied to it. It was like, okay, great. I can bless this person. I can bless this person. It was a fun experience. But I felt somewhat instructed by that experience because really that's how we should live with all that we have. Because ultimately everything that we have is entrusted to us by God. It's ultimately not ours. It's given to us by God. And so with that in mind, I want to challenge us all to live, not pursuing wealth, not pursuing riches, but pursuing contentment and generosity as we enjoy the true riches that are found in Jesus Christ. I have one last passage that I want to read you. And I want these words actually to kind of, in a way, be one final instruction. I'm not going to add anything to to them except to just read them to you to close. I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 6 again, but I'm going to go back to verse 6. And it says this, but godliness with contentment is great 
gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Content. 